this is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. If you have your outline, go ahead and pull it out. I want to talk to you about, about number one in your outline, if you're a note-taking person. And number, number one is this. There is one church. You have to understand that. Um, I know as you drive around town, you're like, no, there's the well, and there's New Cove, and there's Cross City, and there's First Press, and Second Press, and First Baptist, and Third Baptist, and Twelfth Mennonite, and on and on and on. Calvary Chapel, and there's a Unitarian, and there's this, and there's that. There's all these different churches. Um, And and here's what I want you to understand. Those are all places where the church gathers in our city. You have to understand that. Um, Who's the church? You guys are learning. You're learning, you don't go to a church, right? You are the church. When you became a Christian and you accepted Christ in your heart and when you got baptized, you became a member of the church. Now you just happened to attend Clovis Hills and you're part of this congregation, but you have to understand something. There is one church in this city. One of the things I love right now, um, about 200 churches in the, in the Central Valley and they're all different types, right? You got the Pentecostal Holy Rollers and you've got Episcopalians and you've got uh, the Baptists and the Calvary Chapels and the non-denominations and the Methodists and the Mennonites and we've all come together and we said for 21 days, we're gonna do prayer and fasting. We're gonna set the year and we're gonna dedicate 2019 to God. And all of these different churches from different traditions have decided we're gonna do that. We can agree on one thing, Jesus, and we're going with him. So, so yes, sir, there you go. So, <laughs> so here, here's, the, here's the thing. Um, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. And Paul is writing to these Corinthians because they're, they're struggling. Um, you know, I use this analogy and you'll, you'll hear it throughout all year, is they're struggling with, with who they are in Christ. See, a, a congregation is supposed to be like a bunch of grapes. We're organically connected to one another and organically connected to the vine. And apart from the vine, the grapes die. They turn into raisins and those are gross. <laughs> Unless you work for the Sun Made Corporation, we love you. Keep it going. But... But the Corinthian church was operating more like a sack of marbles. Just a group of autonomous people that just happened to come together. And um, that's not how God intended it. So Paul writes, look at verse 10. He writes in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. So, um, you know, it, it's really easy as, as human beings to kind of create allegiances when it, when it comes to um, Christianity. And some of you, uh, and, and, and I get it, I was the same way when I, before I was a pastor. You know, there were certain pastors I like to listen to and there were certain ones I was like, really, he's up today? And, um, for, you, know, and, and you, have, you have to under, understand something. We're all on the same team though. We're all moving forward. And um, it, I always find it astounding because in the 21st century, you have access to the greatest preachers in the world from a touch of your finger. 
that you can listen to the greatest preachers in the world. And there's some Sundays I, after I walk off stage, I'm like, why are they still here? Um, <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but I'm glad you're here. But it's really easy to start falling into different camps. Like, oh, I'm with Joel Olstein, or oh, I'm with Rick Warren, or oh, I'm with John MacArthur, or oh, I'm with Don, John Piper, or oh, I'm with, you know, I'm with Pastor Scott, or I'm with Pastor Mitch, or I'm with Pastor Steve, or I'm with Pastor Sean. And, and Paul is urging us to stop it. And it even happens, I'll let you know, our worship team even has, has that happen. They're like, there's groups that are like, oh, I only like Hillsong and everything else stinks. Only Christian music can only come from Australia. We know that, it's in the Bible, you know? And then other people are like, no, Australians are terrible. We like hippies from Reading. Bethel music's the best. And, and then I'd be like, no, all Christian music comes from the South, from Elevation Church in North Carolina. And we have all these factions and I want you to understand something. They're all different styles. It's one giant, river many streams feeding one giant river so get out of your little creek and get in the river yes sir, yes, sir. all right oh whoa <laughs> so funny nine o'clock is like uh-huh <laughs> saturday night they're like i've been working in the yard all day <laughs> you guys are rowdy um you, i bet you even on facebook live they're typing right now yes sir so anyways See, and the purpose of the church is to make disciples, make new disciples. Not, you know, sometimes I, I, think, I think we think the purpose of the church is, you know, when Jesus said, go be fishers of men, we thought like, oh, I'm just gonna go to this person's fish tank, pour it in, and yeah, I got my fish now. No, it's to make new disciples. And um, we're all on the same team when it comes that way. You have to know that. You know, there's um, pastors throughout this town and we gather in little clusters and pray together and we joke about being in competition and sometimes we do get a little competitive and sometimes I do, I'm, some, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm gonna get real with you right now. There's sometimes I'm driving down knees and I'm like, why is Pastor Brad of a bigger church than me? He's also taller than me and he's like a football player and he's all cool. That's sin. That's pride, that's my sin. And I have to submit, yeah, get over it. I have to submit that to the Lordship of Jesus and go, you know what, Lord, sorry, we're not in competition, he's my brother. I pray for that church, I pray that church would keep growing. This is, this, we are one church, okay? You, you have to un understand that. Um, and, and, and we're gonna screw up all the different little congregations in the city and around the world. Uh, you know, people always say, oh, I, I hate the church. It's full of hypocrites. Well, that's why we welcome you. <laughs> Listen, we all are. So, so I, I <laughs> you guys are getting out of hand. So the, the, truth of the, the truth of the matter is this, is that, um, you know, from time to time, um, and I will, there's some, some of you here today that God is gonna speak to you in a new way and he's gonna call you to, to faith in him for the first time today. I, I'm, I'm sure of that. But listen, um, from time to time, we, we have this tradition when someone accepts Christ, we give them a light bulb. And when you pray to receive Christ in your heart, we just give you this simple little light bulb here. And because Jesus said that um, when, when you become his, the light of the world lives in you now. So it's kind of symbolic and it's a way for you to mark the day. 
And uh, usually at the end of the service, we sing a song and I call people forward and anyone that's accepted Christ can come forward and I give them this light bulb and they put it in the Jesus is life and light sign. And we've got a bunch of empty light bulb sockets over there and it's a way for you to kind of mark the day. It's like a moment in your life that on January 20th, I decided to follow Jesus. Well, from time to time, people come forward and um, yeah, I, I had a person recently and they came forward and they, they were rededicating their life. They had been a Christian but kind of had been hurt by um, another pastor in a church and, and that happens. And this person came to me up here while the music's playing and just said, can I trust you? And I said, that's a loaded question. And this person went on to explain how, you know, that the, they hadn't been to church in a while and the last church they were at, the pastor really hurt them and failed them. And I, I had to be honest. I had to be, I had to say, um, I'll tell you what, I'm just a man. And at some point I'm probably gonna fail you. But if you will give me grace, I will give you grace. And we'll do this together. And that, that's, I don't think that's what that person wanted to hear, but that's okay. Um, because the truth of the matter is we're all broken and hurt people hurt people, don't they? Right? So in Corinth though, the problem they're having is they're all in camps. They're, ta they're taking camps. And um, we're not much different in the 21st century living in Clovis and Fresno. We get in these camps. Well, I, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm non-denominational, I'm a Catholic, I'm, I'm a you know, Calvary chaplain, I'm a, you know, on and on and on. I go to the Salvation Army, I do this, I go, you know, where, wherever it is. And we start taking camps and then, oh, and I like this style of music and I like this style of music. And all of those things are periphery. And I, I, I wanna talk to you. So point number two, I wanna talk to you about why are there denominations? Why do we have those? And, and I, 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 I guess the best way I could explain it to you is, um, you know, de denominations usually didn't start, someone didn't wake up one morning and go, I think I will create a giant conglomerate called the Methodist. <laughs> that, that wasn't what was going on. It was a movement of God. And in the 1800s, there was a guy, he was an Anglican missionary, his name was Charles Wesley, and he came to the United States, and he was, uh, you know, and he tried to start a church, and uh, he moved to this little town, and he was a terrible missionary. You know why he was a terrible missionary? He didn't know God. And you think, like, why would you go be a missionary? Like, that's, he also wasn't smart either, I guess. I, I don't know what's going on, but, like, he, he didn't have a relationship with God. And he moved into this town, and he got engaged to this woman, and she dumped him for another guy, and he had a complete meltdown, and he never got his little church going because he didn't know God. And he, um, on his way to the Americas, he, ha he got a little hint that maybe I don't know God. Because he was on a boat, and the boat almost crashed. And they thought, he thought he was gonna drown out in the ocean. And he's freaking out that he's gonna die. And he looked over and there was some, another group of Christians called Moravians and they were missionaries. And they're all sitting in a circle singing. The boat's going down. And they're like, praise God from whom all bless, you know. So he comes over, he's like, what is wrong with you people? Don't you see this boat we might sink? We might all die. And basically in um, 18th century uh, British, I'm gonna translate it to you. They said, so? 
Don't you get it? If this boat goes down, we go to first class. So that rocked him. And he realized he didn't know God. He knew religion, but he didn't know God. And he didn't wake up the next morning and go, I'm going to start the Methodist denomination. He didn't do that. He walked around the streets of Britain like freaked out because he was like, how did I become an Anglican missionary, a priest, and I didn't know God, and how do I know God? And he's walking around and there was a Bible study at a little place called Aldersgate. And he went into the Bible study and the main Bible study teacher was sick, wasn't there, so the backup guy was there. And he decided he didn't prepare a Bible study, so he said, we're just gonna read Martin Luther's commentary to the Romans. Talk about boring if you're a Lutheran, I love Martin Luther, but his commentary of the Romans was written in German long ago and it makes no sense to me, okay? And the guy's just reading Luther's commentary of the Romans and I'm sure everyone in the room is like <laughs> But this guy, Charles Wesley, in that moment, God got him. You ever had that moment where you thought the preacher lived in your closet? And you're like, are you following me? I am. I'm not, the Holy Spirit is, but listen. He said his heart was strangely warmed. And he knew he had accepted Christ in that moment. And he began to meet in these little Bible studies and they had these methods of how they would study the Bible and more of these little Bible studies grew and he was going to um, Cambridge at the time and uh, some of the, the hoity-toity religious people saw like these people coming into an actual, moving from religion into an actual relationship with Jesus and they started making fun of them and they said, oh, you, you, you're, a, you're with Wesley. You guys are, you have your methods, you're Methodists. They, it was really a diss. And, and, you know, the, what you do is when you get dissed is you own it and it becomes your label, right? And they're like, yeah, we are Methodists. You know, the earliest Christians in the first century, I don't know if you know, they weren't, Christians was kind of an insult to them. They were called the way, that we follow the way. And then, uh, you know, some of the people in the synagogue started making fun of them like, oh, you're like little Christ, you're Christians. And, you know, instead of being insulted, they went, pretty much, and then what happened is this Wesleyan, like th these little groups, growth groups is what they are, that's what we call them, they kept meeting and spreading like gremlins in water, right, if, you, if you're from the 80s, just all over, and they spread all over England, and it completely transformed England, and as a, as, as a, as a matter of fact, when, um, as France was going through a bloody re revolution to get democracy, most historians will tell you that England didn't spill a drop of blood to move into their democracy because there was a great awakening of faith going on during that time and it was handed off almost seamlessly. And it was just a movement, it wasn't a denomination. It spread to America in 1776 when uh, the, our country was founded. Do you know how many Methodist churches there were in America? There were three. I'm not a Methodist, so I'm not, this isn't a commercial for the Methodists, okay? But there were three. Do you know uh, within 70 years how many there were? 30,000. Because it was a movement of God. Now here's what happens to movements of God. Eventually they peter out and he makes a new movement. They're like waves. I was a surfer my whole life. You ride a wave till the energy goes out and then you paddle back out and get another one. This is how God works. 
And eventually a movement gets organized and becomes a, den- becomes a denomination and sometimes they lose their way, they lose their mission and they become a monument. And they've lost their effectiveness in the kingdom. This is why God is always creating new movements. So denominations aren't bad. They're just different traditions and movements throughout Christian history. Sometimes they do lose their way though. Anyone know uh, the YMCA? Some of you are like, that's an awesome song. (laughs) Um, It stands for Young Men's Christian Association. And the vision of it was they wanted to bring in these young men and make disciples of them because they believed that changed men changed the world. And they were making disciples of them, they were using sports to do it, and they were using all that, and it was happening. Um, and, and somewhere along the way, it just became a place where you work out in a cool village people song. <laughs> it completely lost its mission, and now it's a monument, right? So God raises new things up all the time. Who knows, maybe, maybe there'll be like some kind of derogatory term for people to go to Clovis Hills because it'll be a movement of God and they'll call us the Clovis Hillbillies. I don't know. Anyway, so. But I, I, I want to, yes, sir. I want to read you. Look what it says in ver- verses uh, 10 through 13. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. We don't ever fight at this church, do we? No one is ever disgruntled, right? You never write mean anonymous notes to the pastor. I never, I I never subversively say snarky little comments. Um, Verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic name for, he, for Peter, okay? I follow Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And see, I, I think that one, you know, it was the ultimate Jesus juke. That, you know, some people are like, well, I, I'm, I'm part of Paul's teaching and I'm part of, well, I'm part of Peter's teaching and, well, I, I follow Apollos. And then, the, you, know, you know, the super religious people are like, well, I follow Jesus. But, but, but listen, he says, is Christ divided? Is, is, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So I, I, want, I want you to under, understand something. Um, Paul isn't, and he's gonna go on to talk about baptism in a minute. And Paul is help, helping us understand there's all kinds of different streams that flow into one river. Apollos was from a place called Alexandria in Egypt. It was the intellectual center of the Roman Empire. All the smarties came there. And Apollos would have came and he would have brought a very intellectual version of the gospel, okay? And uh, Paul was a Hellenized, he was a Greek, a, Ro- uh, a Jew, but he, he, he thought like a Greek, he thought like a Roman, he was able to communicate the gospel to the Gentiles very well. And he would have presented the gospel in a very particular way that a certain group of people really would have identified with that. Um, Peter was very Jewish. He was super Jewish. He would have been able to communicate the gospel in very clear ways that Jews would have said, yeah, that's, that, that makes sense. And naturally people would gravitate to different proclivities, but they were different streams flowing into the river that is Christ. 
is what's going on. And um, I, 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 I need to talk to you a little bit about baptism though. Because if you read in, in verse 14 through 18, I wanna, I wanna read it to you. It almost looks like Paul's making light of baptism. I, I wanna make sure I clarify what's, what he's doing here. Okay, in verse, verse 14 he says, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. No one, so no one can say you were baptized in my name. Well, and then he makes a caveat. He goes, well, I know the translation says yes, but it's, well, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. He's saying, that's not the point. He said, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he's not making light of baptism. Um, as a matter, matter of fact, he says, I baptized three people and then Stephanus' family. He, say, he says Gaius, who was, if you know, Gaius would have been Paul's host. When Paul came to Corinth, he would have stayed at Gaius' house. And Gaius, uh, you know, so Paul baptized him because they had that intimate relationship. They, they, they were boys, right? And then um, Crispus was actually the leader of the synagogue. So he, he, um, he was a Jewish man that decided that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and he stepped into baptism. And I don't know if you, you know this, but he would have gone under incredible scrutiny. He would have lost his position. He would have lost all his influence, all his clout, all of that. If he was on social media, he would have lost all his Twitter followers. For a Jew to become a follower of Jesus, it meant bad things. It meant you'd be ostracized. Sometimes your family would write you off. I know most of us, there's a lot of people in this room right now that have never been baptized as a, as a grown-up. And part of the reason you haven't is you're like, eh, I don't want to get my hair wet in front of a bunch of people. See, baptism to the earliest Christians meant something. It meant you were in and in the Bible, it means something. Stephanus, the reason Paul baptized them is because they were the first converts in Corinth. Corinth, And the whole family became, became baptized. And um, see, here, here's the deal. In the New Testament, being baptized was not like an option. In, in America, um, and every culture kind of gives their own version of Christianity and they put their own values on it and taint it a little bit. So if you go to India, there's an Indian version of Christianity that's tainted. There's an American version of Christianity that's tainted. There was a Corinth version of Christianity that was tainted. There was a Galatian version, right? But one of the things we do as Americans is we live in a capitalistic culture, so we're consumers of everything. So um, sometimes we can paint it in this way like, well, accept Jesus and then we have a list of options for you to take. You could get baptized if you want. You could get sprinkled. You could get dunked. If you don't want to, whatever. Um, it's your choice. It's like Burger King. Have Jesus your way. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to let you know it's not like Burger King. Jesus wants your life his way and it'll be better for you. So one of the things that the earliest Christians did is they, they stepped into the water of baptism and they did it as believers. They, they made the choice. See, 
there's all kinds of traditions that um, when you baptize a, a, an infant, and that's a beautiful thing, you're christening an infant, and you're hoping that that child will one day grow up and make a choice to be a Christian because becoming a Christian is a choice that you make, right? But that is not what they were talking about when it came to baptism. Baptism was always something a believer did. And they stepped in the, into the waters of it and sometimes um, it meant, in, in other places in the world today, to be baptized, bad things happen after that. The worst thing that'll happen to you here, there's nothing magical about our water. I mean, the Fresno water's a little dirty, but I mean, that, I mean that, that's about it. But it's almost like, well, okay, I'll give an analogy. All my single ladies, okay? All my single ladies. Okay, so imagine you meet a guy, he's great. And eventually he says, hey, let's get married. And you're like, oh, yes, cool. And he says, but I got a caveat. Um, like, I don't want to wear a ring. I don't want anyone to know we're married. It's just my personal decision. All the married people are laughing right now, right? Isn't this how we treat Christianity though? If you were smart, you'd be like, eh, maybe I don't wanna marry you. Because, and if you're like, no, I'll still marry you. We have a group on Tuesday nights for you. It's called codependency, but <laughs> I'm one too. So, um, but baptism really is this, it's like the wedding. So I took my ring off. It doesn't mean I'm on the market right now. The ring doesn't make me married, but the ring tells everyone that I belong to Kelly and Kelly belongs to me. And I wear it so I can tell people that, okay? The baptism does not save you. The water doesn't save you. You don't have to baptize your baby to make sure it goes to heaven. The, the water is just Fresno, Clovis water is probably from Millerton Dam. There's nothing magic about it. But it's you standing in front of friends and family and strangers and saying, I'm in with Jesus. I'm in his family now. That's what baptism is. And I, I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized the way Jesus was, he did it as a conscious believer that you step into those waters and, be, and come out and say, I'm with Jesus. Um, the, the cool part is we're going to be, I mean, we, heck, I'll do it in my clothes today if you want, but slow down. Um, but I really will because I'm Sean the Baptist, but listen. <laughs> part of what we're doing in the auditorium, we, we're adding more seats because we're growing and it's great, but we're also, um, we had a generous donor that just believes in baptism so much. They said, we want to put a permanent baptismal in here. They're going to put two, one right here and one right here. They're going to build a, a stage, permanent stage. And here, here, here's the deal. Um, so we can baptize lots of people. So if you've gotten a bulb before in the last two years, maybe your next step is to get dunked. And some of you, you know, like, if you want to do it here, we do it. If you want to do it at the foot of the cross outside, we do it. If you want to, you know, if you want to do it in Maui, I would love to baptize you if you'd pay my way. <laughs> Same. When I was a, a kid, I got mad at my mom and dad. I was five or six years old. I don't know how old I was. And I remember, I said, that's it, I'm leaving. So I was trying to get my way. 
So I went in my room and I had a little kid's suitcase and I packed it full of toys because those are your essentials when you're five or six years old. And I walked out and I made a big stink of it. I'm like, I'm never coming back here again. And my mom and dad, um, I was their third child and that was an accident. So I was born later in their life and they made all their mistakes on my brothers. But um, in their wisdom, they said, oh, we're gonna miss you. Will you visit? And no, and I left. And I walked outside to the street and I got to the street and I realized I had nowhere to go. But I wasn't going back in there. I didn't like the rules. I didn't like what was going on. So I just kept walking and I eventually made it to my local elementary school. And it was a Saturday and there were some kids there playing basketball, so I put my little suitcase down. I played basketball with them all afternoon, and then it got supper time. It was getting dark, and they went home to their houses to eat dinner, and it got dark, and I stood in my playground in my elementary school all alone and said, oh, no. It's kind of dark and scary here. I don't like this. I feel like I'm alone. And I had to swallow my pride, and I walked home in the dark, Actually, I was a little scared. I kind of jogged. Um, <laughs> and I got to my house, and I didn't ring the doorbell. I just opened the door. And um, my mom and dad were eating dinner, and there at the table was my plate. It had food on it. They didn't lecture me. They didn't ask me where I went. They said, oh, you're home. Come have a seat. We made dinner for you. And I put my little suitcase down and I sat down at the table and I just began to eat and they said, what'd you do today? And I, I played basketball. Oh, that's awesome. They never talked about me running away. They just welcomed me home. For some of you, that's been your relationship with God. You didn't want the life he had for you and you've gone and lived life your own way and there's something knocking at the door of your heart right now telling you it's time to come home. And home is not a place. It's a relationship with the eternal God. And you can have that relationship. The problem is our sin has separated us from God. Um, we wanted life our way. We didn't want God's way. We didn't want to live under God's house. We wanted to live on our own. And, and the, the, the good news was this, is that the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The, the good news of the gospel is for the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But, but God, in all his mercy, he loved us so much, he knew that we were separated from him and he knew that, that there, there had to be a sacrifice for our sins to connect us back to God and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. To use that coming home metaphor again, Jesus talked about how he wants to come home and live in you and change you and make you the person you were always created to be. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus even says, he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He stands at the door of your home, your heart. And he knocks and he waits for you to open the door and allow him in, but he'll never force himself on you. It'll be your choice 
And why would you turn him down today? So for some of you, today's the day. John told us in the book of John 1.12, he said, but as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, to anyone. And some of you are like, well, pastor, you understand, my life's all messed up. I've got all kinds of bad things I can't talk about. Listen, it says, but as many as received it, but that means as anyone who receives them. My parents didn't lecture me about what I had done. They just brought me in. And that's what Jesus wants to do for some of you today. Let's pray. Father God, we, I, I thank you that you are so gracious, Lord, that you, you invite us into a relationship with you. You invite us into your family to be one of yours. And Father, this morning, I just lift up, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that, that they sense that you are knocking at the door of their heart, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would speak to them and you would just gently and, and lovingly invite them into a relationship with you. If that's you this morning and, and you don't know how to do that, all you have to do is pray. Just, just invite him in. In the quietness of your heart, pray something simple like, Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. And I'm coming home to you. I open my heart up. Come into my life and forgive me. I don't know what it looks like to follow you, but I'm, I'm going to trust you. Forgive me of my sin and change my life. If that's you this morning, if that's the prayer of your heart, do me a favor, just with every head bowed and eye closed, would you raise your hand right now? I wanna pray a blessing over you if you prayed that prayer. Hold them high, don't be ashamed. God bless you and you, thank you, thank you. Hold them up, keep them up, God bless you and you. Thank you and you and you. And you too. Lord God, I pray a blessing on every hand, Lord, that you give them um, courage to follow you when they don't feel it. Give them power to step into to, to the places that you'll call them to, Lord, and give them faith to hold on to. Allow them to do things greater than they could ever imagine in your name, Lord. We love you and we thank you for them. Bless them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, listen, this morning, if you prayed to invite Jesus in your heart, or maybe, maybe it was kind of a homecoming, you did that as a child, um, and, and today was a rededication, first and foremost, we wanna welcome you to the family of God, amen? Yeah, yes sir, so listen. We have this tradition where we give you a bulb, and I'm gonna, the band's gonna sing a song, church is gonna be singing, and if today, today's your day, this is the day, I wanna encourage you, come forward and get a bulb. I'll pray a blessing over you, we'll give you a Bible, and um, this church will cheer you on like you won the Super Bowl. So while we're singing the song, I encourage you, come forward and get a bulb and a Bible and a blessing from me, and let's worship the Lord right now. Let's rise to our feet, and I'll be right up here. 
Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.